Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Friday, March 12th edition of the Basement Academy. As we head into the weekend, don't forget to change those clocks tomorrow night so you can get to church on time Sunday. (laughs) Uh, It's that time to spring forward. Uh, We're going to enjoy having a little more daylight at the end of the day, I I think. Um, As we wrap up these four weeks of uh, questions and answers, I want to thank all who have submitted questions. If I have somehow overlooked or omitted, I apologize. No intention. It must have gotten lost in the shuffle. I don't think I have, but but if I have, please forgive me. And I know we've taken the question, ask the question box down. I think we'll do this later in the year. We'll probably do it, you know, six months from now or something. It'll we'll all generate some more questions. It's been a very helpful exercise for me, both at the level of putting me through my paces and and doing the work, but uh, to hear what is on your hearts and minds. There have been some very kind of technical questions, uh, biblical, theological, technical questions, and there have been pastoral questions, and I've really enjoyed uh, the combination of both of those. Uh, you know, kind of bundle certain questions uh, together uh, as they made some sense in my mind. So anyway, thank you very much. It's been a a delightful exercise. Hope it has been helpful uh, for for those who've been listening and and watching the videos. Um, And so I want to read a psalm and then uh, dive into the last two questions. Uh, The last one will... um, probably begs its own whole series. Uh, But let's start with Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor. Their flattering lips speak with deception. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and every boastful tongue that says, We will triumph with our tongues. We own our lips. Who is our master? Because of the oppression of the weak and the groaning of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. O Lord, you will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. The wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honored among men. Mm. Psalm 12. We've read this before. If you've been part of the Basement Academy for a while, uh, over these many months, you'll have heard this psalm probably, this is maybe the third or fourth time on the 12th of the month. I'm always struck by that last verse, the wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honored among men. When you lose all the standards, anything goes. And I get concerned that we're in such a time. But the, um, I think the phrase that drew my attention uh, this morning and ties into one of our questions is the words of the Lord are flawless, 
like silver refined in a furnace of clay. Kind of picture that refining fire, purified seven times, burning off that draw. So this notion of the pure word of God that speaks in contrast to the boastful, flattering, arrogant words of men. (laughs) We own our lips. Who is our master? And so deliver me, O Lord, from the boastful tongues and flattering tongues and lying, deceptive tongues of others, those words that are not true, my own words that are not true. So deliver me from being a, a, a boastful, arrogant, flattering person. And so it's the contrast to the boastful words of men, the deceptive words of men, and the pure, flawless words of God. So um, we'll, uh, it's a great psalm. Uh, it's an important psalm to, to be praying, especially these days. Okay, two, two questions. The first one I think is, is pretty quick. And the, the questioner gave me this opportunity. Um, it's on the bottom of the priority list, okay? Um, growing up Catholic, I have the practice of making the sign of the cross, but do not really know the history behind the practice. Any reason that this is not a practice among Presbyterians. And then similarly, the practice of bowing the head slightly at the name of Jesus Christ and even catch myself doing it at Greenwich. Is this a practice among Presbyterians? I do not hear it spoken about. So my understanding is the practice does date back to the very earliest church, the early, maybe the 100s, 200s AD. Um, it's a symbol, okay? And so in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, okay? And so it's, there's a Trinitarian expression. And I had a chance this week to confirm with a Roman Catholic friend of mine, um, the the practice. So read a little bit, but also talked to a a friend. And so it's taught uh, to Roman Catholic children so so it's that's the practice within the Roman Catholic Church it does trace back uh, to the earliest years to the first second century again the, the, it's written in the 200s uh, an early Christian theologian Tertullian wrote of it as a way of remembering the Holy Trinity and so there's a prayerful aspect to it okay in the name of the Father Son Holy Spirit I have noticed that when I'm conducting funeral services, and at different parts of the funeral liturgy, I will pronounce the Trinitarian name in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And anyone who's Catholic, I'll see them um, um, practice that. But it also ties to the centrality of the cross within the Christian faith and the early church, that the cross is central. And so so it's, it's, a, it's a prayer of protection. So may the cross be over me is my understanding. Um, it, it's it's a prayer. It's remembering the nature of God as Father, Son, Spirit, and it's it's embracing the cross. And so it, it's there's nothing wrong with the practice itself, um, but it's symbolic. It's ritual, okay, and so ritual action. So we take the bread, lift it up, and, and on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And so there's this ritual that that I engage in uh, just this past Sunday, of course, it was a communion Sunday. 
and it's an unbroken tradition that goes back. Um, and so there are symbols of the Christian faith. The cross uh, is the is the uh, symbol of the faith, and so this is a way of keeping that symbolism alive. It's a prayerful symbolism. My guess is why um, Presbyterians or Protestants in general do not engage in the practice is sadly because of that 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 time of the uh, the Protestant Reformation. There were some things going on in the Roman Catholic Church that were less than holy and less than ideal. I think that's generally agreed upon. There was need for reform. And, and so to make that break, um, I think there were certain aspects of the faith. Um, uh, the way uh, Roman Catholic and, and even Orthodox um, churches are highly decorated inside uh, with icons and frescoes and paintings. Protestant churches do not, lest they appear popish. It's kind of a goofy little phrase, but I think that's that's some of it. I don't think it's any more than that. Um, Roman Catholics will also kind of bend the knee as they're coming into church. They'll bend the knee before they walk into the pew. And so that's another one I think called genuflecting. Um, the, 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 the reference to bowing the head at the name of Jesus, I think is a sign of respect. And so Roman Catholics do a wonderful job of teaching their children, of catechizing their young. And so these practices, these ritual practices, as well as beliefs are passed on, uh, to the, the families and then it continues to be passed down. Would the Protestants and Presbyterians did as good a job of catechizing their young. I, I frankly don't know that we do that as well. Um, I would put this practice in that category of adiaphora. That's a, I believe it's a Latin word for meaning matters of indifference. And so in the um, Protestant Reformation, the question is, what, what do you keep within the faith and what, what is to be cast aside. And so there are certain things that are matters of indifference. We're not going to fight over that one. And so from my standpoint, if a Presbyterian or anybody wished to make that sign of the cross, I, I don't see that as problematic at all. Um, it's not forbidden in the scriptures by any means. So we have no clear guidance in that regard. Just know that people will associate that practice with Roman Catholic, with Roman Catholicism. That's all. But but in terms of bowing the the, the head, I I have some similar practices when I read the Psalms and it talks about bowing down. I sometimes I do physically kneel, but when that doesn't seem practical, I will bow my head as a sign of. It's kind of like in in um, Eastern cultures. Sometimes kind of a bowing is a sign of respect and honor uh, to another individual. So, so I, I do that myself sometimes. So I, I hope that's that's helpful. Um, the second question um, is a very important question. It, it came a, a bit late. Uh, it came in the last call, um, and I'm thankful for it. Again, I don't know who, who uh, asked this question, but how do we know that the Bible is divinely inspired? Very important question. Um, 
I'm going to give an answer. It won't be complete. It won't be adequate. Um, but it'll be a start. Okay, so we'll, we'll let me say it that way. So how do we know that the Bible is divinely inspired? And so there's two things going on here. One is how do we know anything? How do we know? And then inspiration. What do we mean when we talk about inspiration? So how do we know things? So the, the, the technical term for this is epistemology, kind of the study of how we know things, the, the process of knowledge or frameworks of knowledge. And so we live in an age where science is the, the, the manner by which we say we know things. Okay, science is just the word for knowledge. Okay, it comes from the Latin scientia. It means knowledge. Okay, how do we know things? But the scientific method, we measure, we observe, we test, um, we can repeat, we analyze outcomes, we can try to falsify. Uh, we, we all learn the science, scientific method, right? You develop your hypothesis, you test it, okay? You, you, you've got your variables, et cetera, all of that, okay? So we live in an age where um, there are many who believe the only things that can be known are the things that can be measured, uh, observed, repeated, tested, falsified if they cannot be falsified, etc. So then you know if, it, if you can't falsify it, then you know that it's true, okay? So there's kind of an empirical approach to knowledge. And if it cannot be observed and tested and measured, etc., proved, um, then we can't know that. And then some extend, well, then how can you know there's even a God? So for, forget like that the Bible is divinely inspired. How can you know that there's a God? Well, you have to be able to measure. You have to be able to observe and, and, and test. And, and since you can't do that, many in the scientific community, and by extension, many in the community of the, the human community, conclude there is no God. Or if they're more generous, they'll say, well, let's be agnostic about that. We can't know that there's a God. A, gnosis is another word for knowledge. So agnostic is without knowledge, okay? So if, sorry if that's confusing. It's like an atheist is one who does not believe there is a God. Theos, Greek word for God. So atheism is there is no God. Theism is there is a God, okay? So agnosticism is I can't know, so I'm just going to leave that whole debate aside. So many folks are agnostic, okay? Um, but are those the only ways of knowing, okay? Is science, that is the, the testing, the proving, the repeating, etc., kind of is the laboratory the only place we can know things? To say yes to that itself then requires some testing. How can somebody say, well, the only things you can definitively know are the things that can be tested? Well, how do you then test that statement? Does that make sense? How can you prove that the only things that you can know for certain are things you can prove? How do you prove that? Um, there is something in us that, that seeks after meaning. Science can't prove that there is any meaning to the universe. It, it might assert that the meaning of the universe is evolution, to evolve and evolve and evolve to higher forms of 
of order. But but apart from anything outside of us, if there if there's if there's only the observable world, then we talk about this is a closed universe. There's no open universe. There's nothing outside the, of what we can observe. It's only it's only what we can observe. So the that part of me that is now motivating these words, the we, we call it the mind, we call it the soul, we call it the spirit, we call it the heart, you know, that interior part of me that can't be known, can't be seen, can't be or can't be measured or, or observed. I, I can't see my spirit, but there is something in me that is motivating these words and this thought, okay? And so there's something that we just kind of know that there's some that the personality, you know, is beyond just the hunk of flesh. Now, hardcore scientists would say, no, that's that's not the case. It's just electrons moving. And when those electrons stop moving, the kind of the electrical impulses, when breath starts happening, respiration, then we just decay and that's the end of it. There is no spirit, there is no soul that is immortal or anything like that. How can you know that? So, so the, the scientific approach has its own little faith element built into it. Certain presuppositions, I, I think, would be the way to say it. So, so are we living in a closed universe? That is, there is nothing outside of us. No force, no being, no power, no intelligence, no God outside of us. So, so there's only the imminent realm, the, 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 the realm of measurement and, 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 and matter, okay? There is no spirit. There's only matter. Uh, and so many posit a, a closed universe. We Christians affirm an open universe. There is a transcendent realm. There are, th there, there are entities. There is a God. There are angels. There's a world beyond the world we can observe. Okay, And something in us um, kind of bears, bears witness to that. There's something in the human family that seeks after meaning. There's something in the human family that seeks after knowledge. There's something in the human family that 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 seeks love and acceptance and truth. And and what is that? Well, we Christians say, well, that's easy. We live in an open universe, and God has made us in God's image. And so there is um, the, the the biblical way of talking about this is revelation. So you either discover the world as it's it's there and observe. So the scientific endeavor seeks to discover, okay, uh, things, facts, knowledge about the world. We Christians affirm that. We don't we don't say no to that. We don't say it's faith or science, okay, faith or reason. We say it's faith and reason. We think it's faith and science. God has made a world and he's made us to discover the world and to help shape the world, okay? Go be fruitful and multiply. Tend that garden, okay? Go get it done. We, we talked about that in our theology series. And so there's nothing inconsistent with the scientific endeavor and enterprise with the Christian faith. Now, material, materialistic science that says there is no spirit, well, that's where the, con that's where the controversy comes in, right? But as Christians, we do not, we're not against the science. We're not against science at all. We believe science works because God has made this world orderly, okay? And he's given us minds to go pursue the shaping of our world for a flourishing end. 
Okay, this is all part of the creation mandate. But we believe there's also, in addition to um, the, the scientific endeavor, discovering, we think there's also revelation. God reveals himself. We've talked about this, the apocalypse. God reveals. He pulls back the veil and shows himself. And one of the ways God reveals is through the scriptures. Okay, now, uh, lest this, uh, again, I told you it's going to be kind of a long answer. It's going to be inadequate. Okay, so now we believe, so how can we know things? Well, you can know by discovery and by science and by pursuit of the uh, observable world. That's one way of knowing. But we also believe you can know by revelation. God reveals himself. He can say, ta-da, here I am. Okay, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands, Psalm 19. And so we believe that creation becomes, as John Calvin said, the theater for God's glory. Uh, Romans chapter one, uh, let me read it. For, I was gonna read another passage, but let me read Romans one for you. Uh, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So men are without excuse, okay? So, so Paul's making the argument. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. You can go out and go, wow, look at those mountains. Look at those trees. Look at that ocean. Look at that sky. Look at that moon. Look at that rainbow. Wow. That is bearing witness, okay? So there's general revelation, revelation that is available to all people. Okay, everywhere, the creation bears witness to the glory of God, the presence of God, the majesty of God. Then there's special or particular revelation. This is a theological concept. So general revelation, creation bearing witness to, to, the, to the power and majesty of God, special revelation, these scriptures, and then Jesus the Christ, the living word. So these written words, and then the living word. And so <clears throat> Paul writes to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed, and that's the language of inspiration, okay? All scripture is God breathed or is inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, okay? And so our word inspiration, Inspiration, the word spirit is tucked in there, okay? So we believe the Holy Spirit has so acted upon the human family and, and has worked through certain particular humans, prophets and apostles, okay, who have sensed the God's presence, have been engaged in some way, and then as they wrote, God was working through that. Not strictly dictation because the, the personality of the author uh, comes through, okay? So Paul writes, well, he, he dictates like Paul because he actually had somebody writing his words down. But Paul sounds like Paul. Moses sounds like Moses. David sounds like David, etc. okay? And so there's a unique personality, but God has shaped that person, 
that, that human author, and then God's spirit works through that person. Okay, and so <clears throat> and so there's this language here about the scriptures which are God breathed, and then in Peter's uh, letter, Second Peter, um, uh, let's see. Above all, this is Second Peter one verse twenty. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter's trying to communicate this, this reality about the biblical uh, revelation, okay, the scriptures, okay? And then at the end of his letter, <clears throat> um, Paul writes, I mean, I'm sorry, Peter writes about Paul, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. I love this. So this very human aspect. Peter's saying, he, he writes some things that are very hard to understand, <laughs> which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures. Ah, so Peter making a comment, our brother Paul writes in the same manner, kind of inspired by the by God. And and some of them are hard to understand, which is really because it is hard to understand part of Paul's writings. And what's he getting at? But they distort these as they do the other scriptures. So Peter understands Paul's writings to be scripture. Peter understands the prophets to be scripture, that God is involved carrying uh, these human authors along by the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, in the book of Hebrews chapter four, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, okay? So, so inspiration isn't like to say the Bible is inspired, isn't say, oh, I read the Bible and I feel happy. I feel motivated. I feel uplifted. That's how often we use the word inspired. That was such an inspired. So Amanda Gorman, who spoke at President Biden's um, inauguration, that, that, that poem, so many people have talked about how inspiring that was. That's not biblical inspiration. Okay. That's just uplift. That was a nice poem. It was great. It was, it was inspiring. Biblical inspiration is the Holy Spirit, inspired, inspirited, okay? Or God breathed, okay? And for the word breath, wind, and spirit are all the same in the Greek language. So theo, theonoustos. It's the, the, this God breathed these scriptures into being. Well, Somebody says, that's a circular argument, Don. You've got your scriptures that are saying we're inspired. Therefore, listen to us because we're inspired. And that's a circular argument. I understand that. I hear that. Okay. And so there's an aspect of this that is taken by faith. I'm not, I'm not going to argue that. Okay. I, I believe that's legitimate. Not everybody will believe that's legitimate, okay? 
So the ways that we've known or, or have come, the church has come to believe that the scriptures are inspired by God is one, there's an internal consistency to these scriptures. They're written over centuries by, I have just forgotten the exact number of authors, like 45 authors or something like that. And so these, these scriptures, uh, so forgive me, somebody go fact check me on that one. Um, these scriptures are written over uh, this immense period of time, but the story hangs together. I, I mean, all of these basement academies, the theology, when I reference this and I go back and reference that and it points forward, the, the, it, there's, there's clearly this sense of a, a one author through many voices, right? Or one voice through many authors. That's probably the better way of saying it. One voice through many authors, Okay. And so that's, that's one aspect. We go, boy, this sure can, this really hangs together. And so that's that sense of divine authorship. So the, the consistency, the coherence of the story, it, it matches up old covenant, new covenant, foreshadowing fulfillment. Um, there, there's a consistency to it, but, but there is, um, they offer an explanation that makes sense. It, 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 it rightly, so any theory has to make sense of the world. So there's theories of human behavior. When we were talking on Sunday night with Gary Johnson about, you know, attachment theory and some of these uh, frameworks, does this theory of, uh, th th that frames out like the evolutionary theory, for me, it doesn't make sense. That, that I don't see these missing links. I understand there might be adaptation within species, okay, and our little toes are kind of, yeah, maybe we don't need our little toes quite as much and, you know, the color of skin and the way sun reacts. I, I understand that. But I don't see how we go from fish to people, okay? I, I just don't see how we get from fish to people because the scriptures say God made uh, each of the animals in their kind and uh, trees and plants and, and animals and fish and they bear fruit according to their kind. So fish give birth to fish and trees, you know, orange trees give oranges and you plant the seed and you get another orange tree. Okay. And, 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 and so goats give birth to goats. Okay. And humans give birth to humans. So that, that is more, that's what our scriptures say, Right according to the kind. So God has made this world with diversity of kind, whereas the evolution, so the, 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 the materialistic evolution makes no sense to me. I, I, it, just, it just doesn't work. It has faith elements built into it. Well, we're assuming certain things. We just haven't found it yet. Okay. So you know something without really having proven it. Okay, that's fine. So there's, there's, there's faith leaps that are made in the scientific community as well. I'll just say it that way, okay? Um, and so um, the, the scriptures account, the, 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 the glory of the human being, we know somehow we're special. We intrinsically know that we're special. Yeah, because we're made in God's image. And, but we know something's wrong. Yeah, because we've, rebelled against God. And so this, this, uh, this, this, what, what, what ails the human family that what we call sin, what we call this, this, this fall that continues to consistently and accurately explain human behavior. So all the things I say about individuals who act this way for moral tribes who act that way, that just makes sense. And, and it's just, this is what our Bible tells us. So, so there's an internal witness that is born 
It is the Spirit of God bearing witness with our spirit that these things are true. But, so I'm not going to deny, I can't prove to you that the Bible is inspired, but I can point to the sky and the, and, and the majesty of creation. And then I can say, these scriptures say there's a, a, a creator and your own heart wants there to be meaning and purpose in life. And you're drawn to love and truth and grace and beauty. And the reason that is, is because there's a, a, a true and loving God that is beautiful at the heart of the universe. And these scriptures bear witness to that. So, so in contrast to the you know, the Psalm 12, boastful words of atheistic people, maybe, you know, within the scientific community. Again, I'm not trying to disparage science. It's, it's faith and science. Um, but there are boastful, arrogant, atheistic people within the scientific community and beyond who say there is no God. Well, there's something in us that just bears witness that that's not true. And how can you say that? How can you know that. So anyway, kind of coming back full circle. It's a big question, important question. Um, I, for one, have staked my life on these scriptures. Uh, I've given myself to reflection and study on these and other matters, and, and I'm settled. Um, I, I, that doesn't mean you have to be settled or, or are settled, but I believe we can get to a settled place, Okay on these matters. And I do encourage um, the, the deep exploration of these. Uh, whoever asked this question, if you'd like, ah, you'd have to make yourself known or write me an anonymous letter <laughs> um, to the church office. And, um, and I may pick this up again in a, in a future uh, series. So uh, today's gone a little long, but what I'm going to do for the next, at least next week, maybe two weeks, and we're coming into Holy Week here pretty soon. So we'll not sure exactly how that week will unfold. Um, but I'm going to ask some questions for the next few weeks, some things that have been on my mind. I'm going to ask the question and then kind of speak to it. Uh, some, some things I've been wrestling with. So, um, got that to look forward to. Again, don't forget to change those clocks Saturday night. Okay. Let, let's close with prayer. God, thank you for these words that we understand to be scripture, to be um, inspired by your, your own heart, your voice speaking through the many authors in our Bibles. And we thank you for the story they tell and the consistency with which they tell that story. But most of all, how they point us to Jesus. They bring us to the Savior. They, they reveal um, his grace and truth, his life, his works, his mercy, his teachings, his death, his resurrection. And this is our living hope. And so God, for each of us, each of us, may we give our, ourselves to the quest of knowing you deeply, fully. And thank you that you know us thoroughly and completely and still love us. And so in our failure to understand, in our failure to follow, uh, in our failure to think and to believe and to trust, oh God, help, help us. We believe, help our unbelief. And may these words abide in us deeply and richly and may they bring forth a fruit that lasts to your glory. As we pray in the name of Jesus, the living word, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God who displays his glory day after day and night after night, may that God also who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, may that God bless you and keep you this day and forevermore. Amen.